Hello and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast with the science and the screaming to determine the best movie for any given year. I'm your host, Greg. This season, we are tackling 1973. And joining me on what is a game show where I will be awarding points for well-made points, funny jokes, and anything that just tickles my fancy, and I'm a fancy fella. Joining me on this expedition is current champion and best friend, Ryan. Ryan, how are you doing? It, that, those two things are not related, or are they? They are They are directly related. For the winner of the show will be my best friend, a bit that I don't know if we've backed off of a little bit, but tonight we will reinstate fully. Okay, and if I lose... Mm-hmm. You will be sent to Shun Island, where everybody I shun goes. That's not a typo. It's not actually Sun Island. It's There's no sun, just shun. And it's a peninsula, technically. Okay. Is it just Florida? It's Florida, but you have to go there and you can't come back, and the bugs are so big, you guys. Bugs so big, you can punch one in the face. Uh, I'm so happy to be here, Greg. Um, I'm so sorry that... Uh, you probably couldn't get another contestant tonight for the fucking podcast-shaped brass knuckles I've been putting on all season long. Well, don't put those brass knuckles away. Did you say podcast-shaped? Yeah. So kind of doughy? <laughs> Maybe pale? You're my pale brass knuckles. Joining us, hoping to have a chance to make a little bit of a name for himself, it's Mike. Mike, how you doing? It's it's cold on Shun Island. It's the cold, <laughs> swampy part of Florida. It is not the warm, nice, beachy part. Florida and is so big. It contains multiple. It has good internet, though. I, I the, Yeah, the internet rules. <laughs> uh, but it is so cold. I'm covered. How cold in, is it? The, it's so cold that I can't feel my toes, and I haven't it in weeks. Oh, and that's really I'm cold. not allowed to hang out with people. Uh, and so I would love to have friends again. I mean, and it's, it's, called, just a, it's called Shun Island. It's a case of the yips. This season's really <laughs> beat my ass black and blue. And yeah. now I just I don't know I just don't I don't I don't know. Here's what and we're gonna do. We're gonna give you a couple points. This is no, so that way. Then I'm gonna lose, and that's gonna hurt more. But by I'm a be smaller later. margin. But by a smaller margin, I think that's. I'll just... realize that. And yeah. Well, maybe you'll forget. It. It like sometimes like you lose a bunch and you get hungrier, and yeah. I'm just about to. Uh, what is it? A uh, hangman's necktie. What ah. is it called? Uh, it's a noose. I'm gonna. I'm going to choke myself. Weird. Ryan, While I jerk weird off, because it's the only way I feel stuff. Check me on this one, Ryan. Weird movie to suddenly say, yeah. "Hey, man's noose." That is uh, uh, topical, I guess. Yes, but Ryan. Also, point for Ryan. So you've already cut into your lead a little bit. I don't there. understand why. Did you watch the movie, bud? What movie? <laughs> oh, is this the movie show we do? Yes, this we are on Shit. movie of the year. Sorry, Mike has lost a little bit of his edge out there on Shun Island. I just decided, decided to just sort of sort of phone it in, which is normally fine. But reading a lot of books. Speaking of the movie that we're speaking of tonight, 1973's Coffee. Mike, I'm going to start with you. What is your history with the movie Coffee? I learned Coffee existed mm-hmm. not 18 weeks ago. <laughs> uh, but. I've had a lifelong love affair with Pam Greer ever since I first saw the trailer a thousand times for Jackie Brown as a young child. Uh Uh-huh. And then I saw Jackie Brown a bunch, uh, saw Mars Attacks. So, you know, I could say I celebrate most of her catalog. I think you're getting – you've definitely gotten the (laughs) Pam Greer experience. But 
uh, like me, you had no sort of like I- idea about this movie. Even like if somebody said to you coffee, you like didn't it didn't like bring up any picture in your head. Uh, none for me. I'm all full. Uh, uh, this no, I the day. <laughs> I knew she was Foxy Brown, but that comes yes. after coffee. Uh, so yeah, I I'm pretty unfamiliar with black exploitation as a genre as a whole. Yes, uh, and I hope that we'll get to to talk a little bit about that tonight and i'm ryan i'm gonna turn this over to you for a second can we get a little bit of a of a definition i have to say this is i'm gonna just gonna out myself as an old white weirdo here and just be like i'm not fully comfortable with the name black exploitation movies what is being exploited oh okay yeah it's totally fine to say uh, because the exploitation part of it is not ex- the exploitation of black people. Because it kind of seems that way at times, Ryan. Uh, although, yeah, I guess you can make that claim. But uh, the term is used to exploit whatever was popular at the time. So, okay. um, whether it was kung fu, um, or motorcycle movies, or um race car movies or you find like a genre that's popping off, and then you just dump a bunch of movies into that genre. Just, you make as you, many as asylum you can at cinema the time. it. Uh, yeah, and so uh, the black exploitation genre was really big for a very short amount of time. But in um, Tarantino's book *Cinema Speculation*, uh, I think he wrote that um, there was a time where he was taken to a strip of movie theaters by his mom's black boyfriend at the his mom's boyfriend at the time, who was black, to a, a row of movie theaters that he had never been to before. Okay, in like a black area of town, and every theater had movies that he had never heard of before but then were cool and had a lot of like um i don't know verve energy it, spirit yeah just starring not necessarily made by black people like we wouldn't that's, go that far that's why the exploitation part i guess that's what i get a little bit hung up on mm-hmm. is it's like um there is a tendency to look at all the um black people on screen and be like this is so cool this is a movie about by and for black people but one of those isn't isn't necessarily true because a lot like the harder they come it's written and directed by a white person and some of that makes the i don't know that to me that kind of changes a little bit of the context in a way i i do think that jack hill would be uh to use a phrase be invited to the cookout just looking at his life and how like he hung out with mostly black folks and because uh she's a black woman in america uh pam greer co-wrote this uncredited because why? Why? We were gonna, what are we going to do? I mean, we're going to give her credit? Come on. That feels like exploitation. Like, and and what, does anybody know the origin of the idea that she is the co- she's the co-writer of this? Like, in what regard is she the, the co-writer? Do we know? Because it's uncredited, and I don't... Yeah, so it's like we are given to understand that probably she was the, the co-writer. And then that feels like, if anything, that erases her, contri- her contribution right. <laughs> a little bit more. Because then we're like, well, question mark, question mark, question mark. Um, the flip side of it, though, is that um, if there was if and this is like I'm not defending any of these decisions being made per se, but if nobody at the time was going to give money to yeah, black filmmakers, okay, yeah. then and these movies were not right. going to get made, then yeah. they wouldn't exist. And yeah. then you wouldn't have all of these iconic performances, all of these iconic movies that then you know, gave birth to all of these other movies. Uh, and this huge chunk of not just black cinema, but cinema in general would disappear. It's fucked up. It sucks. But, but back then, we needed you, Jack Hill. You couldn't get a black writer, director. You couldn't get a studio to be like, yeah, go make this movie. If you have a Jack Hill, then at least you have somebody. 
yeah, you would have to be yeah. you would have That's to be studio fully like independent. Agreed. Okay, before we uh, head off though here, Brian, I wanted to ask you because we're almost done with the show. Uh, because I wanted to ask you, what is your history with coffee, though? I have seen this movie a couple times, um, long, long time ago, back in like the Tarantino is bringing us our yeah, um, our all of our movie likes now. You know, Tarantino is telling us what to watch from the past, right? And this has to do with kung fu movies and black exploitation movies. Just so many, you know, people my age got a film education when. You know, sort of like in between Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I watched it again before the season started just to sort of like make sure that my memory was correct. And how did this deserve a place in our Sweet 16? Um, and yeah, I'll be straight up. Like, this is an incredible example of how hard it is sometimes to talk about movies and their greatness. Um, we'll, we'll get into it throughout the show, but... Uh, sometimes you argue about movies' greatness because of their greatness, and sometimes it's despite them not being great at all. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and that, like, sometimes movies have things to offer that isn't because of the technical achievement, I will say. Yeah, uh, yeah. There, I do feel like this belongs to a category of movies that you feel like they're your friend, and so you you kind of like their or like you, it's, it goes a little bit beyond accepting their flaws. I feel like there are some rough edges in this movie that make it more likable and approachable. And you still get him a job at the restaurant you work at. You don't know why, but I you, would. I honestly, side note, I would never get a friend a job. <laughs> I would never get a friend a job. I, I, I am not going to vouch for anybody in my life. Well, we accidentally talked about the movie a little bit, fellas. Fuck. Which I'm gonna I'm gonna put that on myself here. I did I did a little no, bit. No, Greg, don't come on, team effort, come on. <laughs> Uh, and so, you know what? Let's do it. Let's just jump right into it. When we come back from the quickest of breaks, we will start talking about coffee. Coffee is 91 minutes long. So there you go, folks. Our 1973 movie of the year for being nearly the canonically perfect runtime, Coffee. We just run the award right over to Mrs. Miss Greer's house anytime. Literally anytime. Coffee is a simple nurse until her little sister is preyed upon by a local drug-selling enthusiast. Seeking revenge, she finds that she has a knack for sort of disassociating and entering a dreamlike state where she is hyper-violent, ruthless, and it must be said, very cool. Watching this movie makes you feel really American. Over the glorious 91 minutes, Coffee, both film and character, swing wildly in tone and focus. Going from comically gratuitous nudity to Looney Tunes-style violence to emotionally devastating scenes of people fruitlessly begging for their lives or being dragged to death behind a car. At the center of this tornadic violence, nudity, race commentary, gender messaging, shotguns, and tears is Pam Greer. 1973 Pam Greer is on the short list for most beautiful women to ever exist. And the other women on the list are just different years of Pam Greer. (laughs) The camera loves Pam Greer. The podcast loves Pam Greer. But Gene Siskel called her performance wooden and awkward. What do we think of her performance? And also, let's just wax rhapsodic and respectfully about Ms. Greer, as I would certainly call her if I was ever to meet her. Did you see? Did you read what Gene Siskel's partner wrote about this movie? Well, he loved it. Uh, the, the one thing I really love about Roger Ebert is like if something's horny, he'll be like, "I oh. like how this was horny," and it doesn't He's have such to a be. He does, and he won't be like. It has a great social message about horniness. No. He's just like it's horny, and I kind of like that. He and he gave it two stars, but he, he loved mentioned her boobs five times in his three paragraph review. Yeah, I mean, uh, she is 
the first time I ever saw her was in Jackie Brown, and she was you know older than she is in this movie. Uh, all, already exceptionally, <laughs> but the first time I saw her, I was like, wow, she's very yeah. pretty. In 1973, it is like almost distracting how attractive <laughs> she is. Yeah, and the camera doesn't to... do anything to help us not be distracted by that. Did you find yourself rewinding to know what the fuck was going on in a scene because you're just like <laughs> staring at her face? Well, you can see actual actors break character to just be like, damn. And what I do- <laughs> and what I don't want to say is that I think that she's just so pretty that that's what we need to focus on. I am a little puzzled by her performance, which Gene Siskel called wooden and awkward. Um, so I'm putting the words in his I- mouth again, not mine. Yeah, is that, does that tell the whole school. story, though? No, I think there's a reason uh, his partner's on in our Hall of Fame and he's not. Um, <laughs> he can't even get in the front door. It's what well, I read it as. In one, it's like the the little I know of the genre and and watching her. It's coffee does disassociate, and coffee is not the best actress. I fucking think Pam Greer knows exactly what she's doing in every okay. scene here, yeah. and. Because she knows when to pose and look badass as shit. But yeah, she, her Jamaican accent is terrible. Holy moly. And I'm Holy like, moly. No, that's coffee. She's a nurse and now a killer. She didn't go to Groundlings. Halfway through this movie, coffee, like, who is just basically coffee is Batman. If Batman shot her yeah. right in the freaking face. Uh, and she figures, I'm going to get in with uh with uh, king george uh, a pimp and the way i'm gonna do it is i'm pretend to be like an exotic jamaican sex worker and pam greer proceeds to occasionally try to affect she, a little bit of like patois and then she, for some scenes just seems to be like not this one I'm not doing <laughs> nah. it this time but she tries to affect occasionally tries to affect something yeah. yeah, like she throws a uh, mon after she does early on. She does, and then she starts early on. Piling. She's yeah. like, I did most of the heavy lifting when I met him. Now <laughs> I get just less skate Jamaican through. As, the, as like her, her, her the seeds thing goes have been on. planted with him, so right. let those trees grow on their own. It, it's I, so much more Essex than Jamaica. <laughs> I to me like, like if I had to guess how um, Pam Greer is an uncredited writer in on this movie. And that's the best kind of research. That's the research that we do around here is just let's just guess and pretend it's true. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. This is called a podcast, right. everybody. Okay, that's what you're going to get here. It's Jack Hill, right, comes in and says, hey, I wrote this movie about black people and black culture. But and there were she, things I was a little afraid to write. And she says, oh, let me see all my lines. No. Yeah. None <laughs> of these. Thank you. And so she, you know, adheres to the plot in every situation. But... Because the plot, in, and we'll get to this later, is fucking, uh, like, James Elroy-esque at points. Like, it, it is dense. It gets going, and it's like, dude, you better, like, keep up. Because every scene yeah. just, like, races towards the next one. And I think that's part of the problem with her dialogue. If there is a problem with her dialogue, it's that there's no time in these scenes. Like, right. you can't say these lines slowly, because you got to move on. But what she's doing in almost every scene is that um, she's sort of keeping this balance of all of these parts that she's playing, and she's letting us in on the ride. So uh, the camera will hang on her. It has no choice. doesn't matter what the director said. They told the cameraman. It literally won't move away from her. You can see the camera shaking sometimes as the cameraman tries. The cameraman (laughs) will just hold on her, and her the way that her face goes from, hey, baby, let's go to the other room, to, and the second the guy gets up to to go to the other room, her face goes immediately to, oh, I'm going to, fucking murder this guy yeah. to mother to lover to murderer to all of these roles that coffee has to switch back and forth on that's what i think she's so great at right. doing the style of 
the performance is dictated by the style of the movie. If you brought yes. in, uh, right. you know, Meryl Streep or uh, classically trained actress, it wouldn't fucking work. So I don't know what Gene. This is potentially Gene Siskel's first black exploitation movie. And also, aren't there scenes that like? I don't know. When she is like, okay, she uh, shoots the first guy she's going to shoot, and the camera shows you shoot him right in the face. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then she runs up to the, the guy that was basically helping him, and she says, one of the most hardcore things I've ever heard in my life, which is it was easy for him because he didn't really think I was going to do it. You know I will, so it's going to be harder yeah. for you. And then the guy proceeds to begin to beg for his life, and she starts crying as she starts relaying what happened to her little sister. There's a lot going on in that scene. That is not bad acting. That is like There's a ton of emotion on the floor there. And so smart to, like, how am I going to dump a bunch of exposition? Uh, one of my lead is now holding a gun at somebody, and she's crying. Yeah. Uh, all of that distracts you. It's the little, like, look at the jangly keys, baby, while I'm like, here's everything that's going on and why. <laughs> and then we see her right away at work. And so, yeah, we see yeah. that shift that that she takes there. Yeah, it's the night one. I do, I do think there is one particular scene that is rough, and to me it feels like maybe one of the first things they filmed, which is, it's one shots of her when she's talking to Priscilla, who is like, she remembers from being a nurse that there was this yeah. sex worker who came in with her face cut. And she's like, I'm going to figure out who her pimp is and start working through her to figure out where I need to go. And there's back and forth where the actress playing Priscilla, the sex worker, is doing some fine acting. And it keeps cutting back to Pam Greer. And it she's alone in a room. Um, and it just feels like she's not sure how she's supposed to emote. And there's a part where she literally like waves her hand and it's like, did she just use the force? Did she just like use a Jedi mind trick on Priscilla here? To me, that scene is awkward. And I think part of it is because I think Pam Greer as an actress, like does really good at matching and being a part of the energy of another performer on screen. Mm -hmm. And I think being alone in the one shots in this one particular scene, just, she loses it a little bit. She's not sure how she's supposed to deliver the lines, and I think it it shows. This 1973 version of Act Against This Green Ball. Yeah. We'll put it in later what it is. Kind of, yeah. And the other thing I'm wondering is, this movie has like no budget, right? Mm. So are there a ton of takes being done? Or is it kind of like, we got that, and there was like, nobody walked through the shot, and we didn't mess up in any way? Like, we got to just move on, everybody. We can't just sit around rolling on film all day long. Yeah, I'm sure it's, you know, uh, shoot as fast as you can, but for all we know, they couldn't be together on that day. The other part I love about that scene is she escapes, and by escape, she makes it to the bottom of the stairs. And (laughs) so the other two just, the couple that was trying to kill her uh, are just up in the, at the top of the stairs fighting, and she turns around and looks at them and just smiles (laughs) like it's the end of a Mentos commercial. (laughs) This movie feels light years ahead of its time for its gender and sexual politics in some ways in some ways Mm. it feels retrograde but the fact that there is this like gay relationship it's not the healthiest relationship obviously but and then that's not like the movie doesn't sit on that it's just mentioned in passing and then sort of like you know coffee moves on and so do we into the next into the next scene and it that to me gave it a very sort of naturalistic quality to like we don't have to like explain what's going on between these two women Right, and and it's not just those two of them. There's other hints that other call girls also are romantically together. And yeah, it just it builds up this world, Mike. Uh, and you're just like, yeah, there's more stories we could tell here. We're just not. That's not what we're doing I, now. I definitely did not understand how this world worked. By the time the movie's over, I wasn't quite sure what was going on in several ways, and I honestly felt like that made the world seem huge to me, and that made yes. it seem more real to me, like Star Wars, like Star Wars. 
Right, there's no way that you need to understand what's going on in this world. Like you would be dead in ten seconds. So don't even worry about it. Uh, I would be like, everybody's being mean to me. I am leaving. Uh, I don't think I'm very valued here. Do we believe? Like one thing about Pam Greer is that the the story wants her to be a badass, and I feel like mm-hmm. her role in Hollywood wants her to be a badass. Does that at all cut across the fact that this is obviously one of the sweetest people to ever exist? She seems exceedingly nice and wonderful to me. Am I reading that correctly? She she does seem sweet, but I think that's what makes her more badass. I don't think it's like bravery isn't not feeling fear, right? Yeah, uh, it's feeling fear and working through it. So badass is not never feeling anything. So that's why to starting with her crying and killing somebody, fuck yes. Now I'm emotionally invested, and you can see it getting easier for coffee. I don't think it, anybody says it in this movie, but so many movies have told us kill your first person is really hard. Second person's mm-hmm. a little easier, and then you start to like it. You get the and, hang of it, right? And like getting a tattoo. You can see that. And then you're like, I need more right now. It's been a year since I've done one. Uh, And you can see that happen to her. And I think that is awesome. And that, I think, plays into her natural charisma and sweetness. I think, I don't know if she's, like, certifiable or anything, but I think the disassociation thing is important, too, because there's a lot going on with her. And when she's talking to her uh, cop friend, like, childhood sweetheart or something, Um, and she's going through her laundry list. Like, 11-year-old got hooked on... 11-year-old sister got hooked on smack. Fucked up. Find out that sister, also a junkie. Brother, a dealer, and a yeah. junkie. Okay, so that's that's a long, long right. laundry list of fucked up. We can see why she wants the revenge, but at the same time, she's also giving back to the community by working this job that pays more in, you know, spirit and feel-goodness as a nurse uh-huh. than it does as a, right. in, as a paycheck. And then at the a third level, um, I am going out potentially in her head ha- uh, having a future, a romantic future with this rich, powerful person. Right. And what does she want to do with this rich, powerful person? Let's get the fuck out of town. Yeah. The only way that I'm going to save potentially right. my life, because when I'm talking to the cop, I'm saying, uh, I'm saying like, I'm going to kill everyone. And right. he's like, well, you would have to literally kill like not just everyone in this city, but like farmers in Vietnam, farmers in Turkey. She's like, yeah, so I'll fucking do it. <laughs> and then, so that's why she says to the rich boyfriend, let's get out of here mm-hmm. because that's the only way I'm going to save myself. And yeah, get, and get both of us out of right, here because right. he is, I don't know if he's being drawn into it over the course of the movie. It like, it feels like he's being drawn into it, but then near the end, it feels, yeah. yeah, it feels like he's, and I guess that that's sort of the, the, the politics of the movie, uh, which we will, we will get into in just a little bit. One last thing about, uh, Pam Greer though. What is she specifically doing, uh, that elevates this above? First of all, does this riot as our black exploitation expert does the, is this elevated beyond normal black exploitation fair and does she does she have a major role in that i absolutely think so be- for two major reasons and uh she is one <laughs> of the reasons wait a minute ryan <laughs> hang on buddy she's one of the major reasons because um whether it was her doing or jack hill's doing let's give her the credit um the, the character is always it foregrounded that mm-hmm. like we yeah. want to know what coffee is doing. The right. other major reason when I coffee's w- not on the screen, the character, other characters should be saying, "Where's coffee?" Yeah, <laughs> uh, but like the the need to talk about the world they live in and how it's like just fucking corroded from top to bottom. All of that stuff does it as well. I don't think that this is just a excuse 
to string together set pieces. Um, but the number one thing is that I think that Coffee is so, such a more three-dimensional character than so many of these, not all of them, but so many of them, especially if you put it next to Foxy Brown, which I think was supposed it was supposed to be a Ryan. spiritual sequel to this, no or? literal sequel. Oh, okay. And I think part of the reason they changed it was like it's too hard to write this. Let's just make it more two dimensional than right. Yeah, because that, that that like polishes a lot of the edges that kind of make this grown in and natural There's feeling. A, right. A lot right. of the violence that she does is hard to watch. And again, like. It's not just that she's mowing people down who, ha- who who like have it coming. She's killing people who have it coming. But a lot of times they're saying like, please, please don't do right. this. Oh my God, this hurts so much. You have to stop. And I don't think that that has legs for a sequel. Yeah. And <laughs> and she hurts people who in that scene are being mean to her or yeah. are her obstacles, but are also in their own story and are tragic figures. And she doesn't and give she, a fuck. She unleashes violence on people in kind of yeah. a, a, a a careless way at times. Like to what what happens to King George, who is dragged behind a car in what is like simply one of the most upsetting like scenes I've ever seen in a, in a movie? Uh, part in part because of what a good job the actor does of being like I'm confused by what's going on. This is yeah. so scary. Please don't do this. Um, but she unleashes that. Yeah. Like like right. it, it, she doesn't do it, but she like allows it and she sets the table for it. And you know when you get to the end of the movie. You don't necessarily feel like, yeah, coffee. She's such a badass. You feel bad for her that she's done right. it. You feel bad for the, a lot of people who have suffered violence. And it's not the rah rah movie that you might expect, even when you're watching it. It's like almost later you reflect Be- on how tough it is. Because I, I think that scene where we talked about the cop saying, the, so we know the system is still here. Yeah. Uh, she killed a couple of players, but the yeah. system did not go away and so yeah i think it's heavier Mike. and people aren't going to these kinds of movies for that heaviness i think it should just cut to as soon as those people die it should cut to her getting a medal <laughs> and saying she saved the day and society i think cut to those farmers in those other countries <laughs> and she's like it's coffee time bitch i think we should cut to rushmore ghostbusters edition Mount Rushmore. We are here at the most important mountain, not just in America, but in the entire world. It's the only mountain that has been actively defaced to show. I guess actually it's been faced. It's been faced four times. <laughs> it should get defaced. defaced. But it should get defaced, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to take those faces off, and we're going to replace them with... That's right. The 1973 Ghostbusters. Back when, if you said to somebody, we're putting together some Ghostbusters, they would say, what is that? Why are you talking to me? And this Nixon guy. Man. Was back then, did they have the real, real Ghostbusters with the gorilla in the car? (laughs) Yeah. And they were like, why do we call this the real, real? And somebody's like, you'll learn in a few years. Don't worry, you'll figure it out. It's fucking real, real. Um, If if we don't want these presidents on anymore, could we figure out what the four most important mountains are and change each head to a mountain? Hell yeah. You got Half Dome, the Mountains of Madness, uh, the Mountain Kilimanjaro. from Game of Thrones, the Mountain that guy from Game yeah, of Thrones. Yeah, that boy. That's good. Uh, Rock Candy Mountain. <laughs> Boom! There we go. Is that where the hobos went? That's where all the hobos went. That's why you don't see hobos anymore. <laughs> so, uh, according to company policy, I now have to listen to um, at least four names before I get to say put it on the mountain, put it on the mountain and clap my little grubby hands together and uh, heels 
That's Andy adorable. Andy Eels, jump up in the air, yeah. yeah. Old-timey just in the air for so long. What? It's crazy. Uh, so, Mike, let's start with you. When we're talking 1973, I, who belongs on the Ghostbusters? Mike is fucking ready. He's ready to go. Did he There's There's not a lot of, like, straight-up, laugh-out-loud comedians that we've dealt with. But do you know who's funny-ish, very charming, and I think could get that very, uh, like, laconic kind of dirtbaggy, but god damn it, don't you love him? Okay. It's uh, Jack Nicholson is uh, the Bill Murray role for me, based on his uh, role in The Last Detail. And, you know, honestly, I don't think, like... I don't think comedy is the first thing people think of when they think of Jack Nicholson, but maybe it kind of should be. Like, in, even in like his most dramatic roles, it's really kind of that like really uh, sharp wit and clever right. eyebrow twitching that that gets the people going. Would it be like I'm Jack Nicholson and I'm a Ghostbuster? <laughs> Let's bust this guy. Is he in the room? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jack Nicholson and I approve this message. All right, Jack Nicholson. Can't can't put him right on the mountain, Mike. Would love to. My hand's going over there. Nope, not gonna happen. Ryan, who do you think is Ghostbusters Rushmore Mountain material? Well, Greg, I want to uh, get somebody who's funny, but also I want to sell tickets. I want to put butts in yeah, seats. Yeah, dude, let's get butts in those seats. This is 1973, so those butts are probably hairy. They're probably dirty. Uh, so is this guy probably? Um. I uh, are we doing Dirty Harry? Are we doing Ghostbusters or are we doing Gouldbusters? It's Elliot Gould. Elliot Gould, and also we—that was a weird lead-up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't script all mine out, Mike. Um, maybe like he's walking down a hall and he sees like a, a ghost. He's like, "That's okay with me." Oh man, I would love to see a Robert Altman Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> Just go in there and improv the busting. That's cool. All right, Elliot Gould. I have to say that feels like a kind of a host-specific one mm-hmm. too. You know, I always get excited about Gould. Gould is gold. Gould is hey, gold. When you think about Ghostbusters, you want somebody with some experience who's willing to throw their yes. life on the line. Yes. And often, the Ghostbusters so rarely fight ghosts; they normally fight. That's right, interdimensional demons. Yeah, or In like 1973. Or something. Yeah. Who has that? Max Van Sydow, oh! the man who's been old forever because he, in fact, might be a ghost himself. Wow. I just had like the a big reaction to that because I did not see that one coming, <laughs> and I loved it. You were building some runway. I thought we were just talking about the Ghostbusters, and then suddenly, <laughs> boom, you hit me with a name. Are we at all afraid he's going to be so obsessed with like Pazuzu? It's like, bro, there's other ghosts to bust, Yo, man. there's one. There's just one. It's Pazuzu. Okay, I know you guys used to work together, and so you got this whole thing, but, man. we or will they, won't they? We also got to go out there and get librarians who are shushing people too much. <laughs> and, like... And now, we, I mean, we have the biggest movie of all time. If We have Max von Sydow in there. <laughs> you know people are going to come out to see Sydow. Ryan, this is going to be the last of the, of, the, of the maybes before I'm allowed to just start winging them on over to the mountain. What do you think? Is this, is, I don't know. Is this, is this uncouth? Is this rude? Am I being a Rudy right now? I'm not sure you have to say the thing first. Yes. Uh, <laughs> if I just, like, uh, choose the reason for the season and pick director Jack Hill... As the fourth <laughs> ghost ri- ghostwriter, I want Pam Greer. Pam. Because Bustin makes her feel good, if you know what I mean. Pam Greer. Yeah, she gets it in whenever she can. <laughs> I do feel like um that would that would bring in that would bring in a little bit of a different audience. I think it would give the like the the team a little bit of a different feel. And honestly, except for ghost blowjob and maybe some of like the gozer 
stuff. Like, there's not a lot of sex in the Ghostbusters, and I think she could maybe like sex it up a little bit. Plus, at the end of Coffee, I looked like how everyone looked at the end of Ghostbusters, the first one. <laughs> like kind of like fried, a <laughs> little bit of smoke coming out of the top of your hair, covered in you white goo, yeah. uh, covered in white cream. Oh, That's okay. what he was talking about. Mike. I see. <laughs> I see. All right. Well. I'm going to pick one from this list just to get us kind of started. And the number one thing I want to do is I want to put butts in seats. And so, you know what? I'm going to go Jack Nicholson. Because I think that's going to get people there. And I just think, like, watching him totally covered in goo and just being like, well, Mm. it came right at me. I didn't expect that. It was a great day. Uh, I think I think it would really give us a little bit of something. So I'm going to start with that. Mike, let's go back to you. Do you have anybody else you think should be on the mountain? I hope so. You want this to be funny, and you want to hit that kid demographic because it is Ghostbusters. And in 1973, who was funnier? The standout character in a movie none of us really loved, but Little John. That's right. Years before Who Framed Roger Rabbit broke down the wall of cartoons and mankind being in a movie together, we have Little John the Bear as a Ghostbuster. You want that fat oodle lollier? <laughs> Killing Ghostbusters. Man, you love Oodalali. You know I love the Oodalali. <laughs> Little John the Bear from Robin Hood. Yes. Okay. I'm gonna put another one up on the mountain here. Let's see. Little my my finger is hovering over Little John. I have to say, these two know each other from a movie they're going to make in the future. I'm gonna put Pam Greer. Aren't they, aren't both Jack Nicholson and Pam Greer in Mars Attacks? Everyone they are. Mars Attacks. Good memory. Man, yeah, it is crazy. Go back and watch it like I did two weeks ago. Fucking everybody is in that movie. I feel like, did that movie, when it came out, did people be like, this is a major bomb? And then since then, it feels like it, like you, you see more and more like of a cult following for it. Yeah, I mean, that everybody wanted yeah, Independence Day. Yeah, bubbling up. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, well, we're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to give you like a little bit of a different movie. Who said, who said Pam Greer? That was me. Ryan. Yeah, Ryan. Ryan. We have two folks on here looking at some of these other names. Ryan, what do you got next? Uh, well, Greg, there's got to be a scene where the fucking equipment doesn't work. Oh, yeah. And we're going to have to use our hands and our feet. And good thing Bruce Lee's on the fucking Ooh. Ghostbusters. <laughs> oh, I like that idea. Man, what we need is, like, they need to change some of the equipment to like make use of his abilities if like instead of like yeah. the blaster if he had like i don't know like it's it's, it's ridiculous but like uh little knuckle things that he yes. like go and pound Fuck, the that'd ghost. be cool and then he like that's ridiculous he grabs the ghost and just like physically with his hand shoves it into the trap yes man i'm liking that idea for that time where bill murray uh pulled the tablecloth out and the flowers are still standing <laughs> bruce lee could probably do that bruce lee could do that in fact, with his toes i am basically any excited anytime we talk about bruce lee and so i'm just gonna let myself go and put him up on the mountain. Let's enter into like a speed round type situation. Mike, who else you got after Little John? Uh, uh, we haven't gotten there yet in our season, but we all know how funny he is in our funniest movie of the season, American Graffiti. It's Richard Dreyfus. It's Richard Dreyfus. Was that your Dreyfus? That was my Dreyfus. <laughs> oh it's me, Jaws. Richard Dreyfus. Look out for Jaws. He's behind us. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys, you see the shark? Hey, what about Bob? <laughs> what about Bob? Baby steps to Ryan. Ryan, who else you got? Lightning round style. Um, I am going to go with... Uh, here's a guy who is bringing the funny, and maybe we could have an older guy who's passing the torch. Okay. Just like he did as a car in the movie Cars. It's Paul Newman. 
Ooh, damn. Paul Newman. Uh, is he too classy for this? Yes. Man. <laughs> yes. I, I, feel like if you, I feel like if you covered Paul Newman in goo, you're going to have mm-hmm. a problem, right? This is not the kind of guy you want to gack or slime in any way. That's why he never gave away a Nickelodeon Kid Choice Award. <laughs> They asked him every year. <laughs> every year he wouldn't do it. Are you going to cover me in the goo? Oh, he's asking if we're going to cover him in the goo. Yeah, never mind. Shut up. Get Dreyfus on the horn. Mike, last one, bud. And this is, when will we do the Lewis Tully Award? Okay, yeah. Actually, should, I do, should I wait for that? Let's go to Tully time. I want to go to Tully time right now. Give me, give me your Tullys. Uh, he'd been bubbling for a while. In 1973 is when the Dean Martin Rose hit. It's Don Rickles, man. Don Rickles would crush as the Tully here. He's just fucking roasting the ghosts, roasting the Ghostbusters. Everybody hates him. Roasting the ghosts. Yeah, hockey puck-ass ghost. God, every ghost would be called a hockey puck. <laughs> Ryan, give me a, give me a Tully candidate. Uh, my Lewis Tully was Richard Dreyfus. Really? Okay. So here's what I'll do then. I am going to... I mean, we want butts in the seats. We really got to get those butts in the seats. Yeah, this is the first Ghostbuster movie that is actually trying to get butts in the seats. I'm going Gould. I'm going Gould. You know me. Who who, who is my Gould guy? That was me. Ryan. 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 Good as Gould. And then uh, uh, remember that uh, sexy-ass picture of Greg and Gould you asked for? (laughs) (laughs) I made it nice and sexy for you. Uh, And then Tully is, of course, Richard Dreyfuss. Damn it. Wait, is that me? No. Wait, that's confusing. Oh, because you said Richard Dreyfus, Mike. Yeah. Then I'll give it to both. And so of you. did he, Mike. Because I, I like I like both you guys as friends, and so that makes our 1973 Ghostbusters: Jack Nicholson, Pam Greer, Bruce Lee, Elliot Gould. Oh, this is a party Greg a has to be invited to, and then of course Richard Dreyfus. Can we get one fan that fucking rules at Photoshop? I want this poster on my wall. Dude, that or could we just get one fan? That would be so rad. <laughs> we have several. I know. We Talk have, to you, Laffertastic. We, honestly, we have a lot of fans, and we love them, and we love their contributions to the show. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you for everything you are. When we come back, what is this movie, like, about, about? This movie is high-paced and feels like it's absolutely full of messages that you don't really have time to unpack during the running time of the movie because how quickly it's moving along. So ultimately, at the end of everything, what do we think this movie is saying about race and power? I The, the scene that hit me the hardest in this rewatch is the scene where we have all of the villains at one table, mm-hmm. um, yes. and they are... I'm going to throw this out here... And you guys correct me if I'm wrong. Italian, Latino, and black. Honestly, it mm-hmm. it you have to like you have to kind of try to figure it out through multiple viewings. But I do believe that those are the races of those people. It's the mafia coming in from Vegas, the east side of Los Angeles, which is uh, like uh, I guess a Latino gangster, mm-hmm. and then the rest of Los Angeles, which is the city councilman who was like and not yeah not uh, like uh, black gangster, although. He might as well be, be a gangster because of how yeah. evil he is and corrupt, but a black politician. And they're all they all have like these. Well, not that the 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 mafioso guy doesn't, but like it's the guy that runs the Latino gang is like in the police, and the right. guy that runs the black gang is on the city council, and so they're like both legit and not legit at the same time. And it occurred to me watching the scene that the closest we have to white people in this movie are uh, 
sex workers and cops, stooges. Like, there's right. Yeah, cops are like fucking Keystone stormtroopers level cops. Yes, I mean they are. What fucking? What about the guy whose glasses are also an eye patch? (laughs) Is he from the the nerdy pirate or something? You'll never get me in a picture. Yeah. What What is that guy's deal? Like every like I watched this movie three times, and the last time I'm like, the number one thing I'm gonna figure out in this in this movie on this watch is who is this guy with his glasses? He's just a hired hand. But like, hold up. My point is that um, that I think that's one of the biggest changes is it like from other movies of this ilk is that um we are going to show that this is being done not just from the top down and from the inside, but from our own people. Yeah. Right? Mm. We are getting destroyed. Right. Like, people are taking advantage because of us. Our people are taking advantage of us because they can, because it's either, like, be a hero or jump in and make the money with the right. white people that are destroying us. Be a hero like the one good cop who gets hit or get grab all the power you can and sell your people out be a good be here like the one good cop who uh they send a hit out on he gets taken to the hospital the guys come over to see how he's doing and the doctor's like uh they're like how is he doing doc and the doctor's like well how do you feel about a shit ton of brain damage <laughs> doesn't it felt to me like the doctor Ryan. knew exactly what was going on and was yeah. kind yeah. of overselling it to save that cop's life <laughs> um is it at all um a little problematic that the point of this movie seems to be like it's not that we it, like the movie pays lip service to the idea that white people make things so tough in uh, neighborhoods of color. But it seems it, is it at all troubling that this white writer director writes this story and it's like, but you know who's really doing it to the people? is the people themselves that there's the like good representatives from their own communities are the ones who are really exploiting them. And that's who we should like really focus on as, as the, the the people who are making life so difficult. I guess to me, it it felt like more nuanced than that, where it feels like a power corrupts story. Maybe the Congressman once believed the bullshit he was selling, but got in. I really don't get that feeling. I really don't know. He feels like a slime ball. Yeah, I mean, he's like the worst person in the movie, it feels like. And it's so many other stories I guess we've seen, and maybe this is too modern, of being like, the white guy is behind it all. To me, this is more interesting of watching how the the snake can eat itself. And it's also like, because Coffee thinks she's at the top, she's fucking not. She's still like hitting middle management bad guys. And And everybody keeps trying to tell her that. She's so far away from... The actual corruption. Yeah. I think, too, like, I, I get what you're saying, Greg, but I think, too, that the way that it works is just so much more hopeless. It's just, like, the way that this, the, the way that so many other movies like this work right. is, like, you do kill the the big bad for this particular movie, and mm-hmm. you go home and you sleep tonight. Yeah. Tomorrow, you have to figure it out again, but the way that this movie works and that table of those particular villains, there's just no fucking hope at all. And that's what's so weird because I feel like this movie has a very warm, friendly, nice feeling sometimes, but ultimately it feels like the message is about as dire as it possibly could be, which is you could kill all of these people and completely lose your soul and become the monster that like that you fear, and it won't even matter because there's an army of people behind right. every one of these who will just step forward to take that position. It makes it feel like nothing can be done to make this situation 
any better. Facts. Yes. <laughs> Got <Yeah>. it. <laughs> and, and but like, d- did you feel the entire time you're watching the movie? Did you feel that dire, or like it doesn't it kind of like f- flip back and forth between like this feeling of hope and this feeling of well, the hope was I hope I get to see that fucking one-eyed guy <laughs> walk out of the house, clean his glasses, be like, what's that? Wipe his th- lens off, look through the lenses, see a car come right at him, and then crash right into his body. Man, that guy gets smushed. <laughs> and I think the hope is the the POV, they never do like video game style from Coffee's point of view, but the audience, oh, man, I think, that'd be so cool. really is <laughs> like sitting on guy. her shoulder. So we're hopeful when she's hopeful because she is naive. She's new to this world. That's why I think the, yeah. the, the character like. and the plot of King George, she thinks he's the biggest bad motherfucker around. Yes. And then he gets got so by the actually – wa- yes. And, like, it feels like if this was a series, he would be the movie's whole bad guy. But they got – they're like, no, no, no. He is actually too small potatoes for this shit. And there's a, a cabal. The evil Illuminati sits behind King George. Do you know one major – the only major change I would have made to this movie is – More King George? There's a perfect cut where everybody's like, who the fuck is King George? And then it cuts to him driving Hell his yeah. mobile. And with a theme song that's singing like King George, yeah. yes. and I would have done it. He would have parked his car, turned the key, and the song would have come off, turned off as if he was <laughs> listening to that in his car. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do want to talk about King George briefly because this is a bad guy, King George, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, um, the the movie I don't feel like leans on how terrible pimps are. Like, they're um, not nice people, and they don't. He they cut don't the act. face of his girlfriend. Who he also yeah. pimps out, but I feel like I, 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 I mean, like there's so many people that are. Wor- I think that the way Vit- Vitone, the Italian guy and the senator or politician are played, like King George pales in comparison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we see him as a bad guy, right? But also we see him carrying himself with like a lot of dignity, and I feel like watching what happens to him, which I would almost hesitate to call a lynching, except that the character that's doing it calls it a lynching right um, those italians are racist that is mike in this movie that, too everybody. mike <laughs> mike can say that um but that was one of the most like kind of profound moments in the movie to me was here's this guy who like you they show him as as being a bad guy and yet to watch his dignity crack and disappear and then to watch him be the victim of like such terrible heinous violence I felt like he, in a way, becomes almost like a secondary protagonist mm-hmm. within the movie. What is What do you think his role is in this? Is it just to, for her to think he's a big shot and then we find out he's not? Or is there more going on with that character? I, I think what's going on is that the movie has this ability to shift the angle mm-hmm. and to go from, like, to have coffee look up not to king george but look up at king george and see you're the big wig i mean his first name is king and then have the camera swing down and like go look down on him it so quickly in such a way where we now feel pity for him and like that he's so low level we didn't watch him slice the girl's face. You know, there's stuff That's that, the thing. I that mean, we get around. An audience like, can't, like, you. if you don't show him do that, the audience can't feel about it, mm-hmm. like, the same way. And the movie f- moves so quickly with so many victims that I'm not saying the movie intended necessarily for us to feel or to root for King George, but his demise, as opposed to anybody else's, was fucking nuts. The it way that humanizes uh, him. 
Yeah, exactly. The way that the Italian guy, the Vegas boss dies, where it's like, give me this information. And he's like, okay, if I do, you'll, you won't kill me. And she's like, sure. And then he gives it to her and she kills him. That's just fucking funny. Yeah. yeah. That his that's just funny. It, that's part of the Looney Tunes. It wasn't. We're gonna talk about the tone in 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 the next segment. Um. So so we will get to that. But uh, I do think that a lot of people would like see King George as a figure that they saw like themselves in in the mm. movie, and that the movie like the world wouldn't allow him the kind of carriage that he really wanted. And we see the same thing with the cop. Who like really the cop becomes the reason for Coffee to continue doing what she's yeah, doing. Yeah, she didn't have her. enough motivations, the movie thought, so why not add more? Well, that's what's so interesting though, is because her motivation is enough with her family who's had this trouble. But when we see her, she's really dealing with the repercussions of the first scene and she's right. thinking, I think maybe I want to give this up. And it's not until her friend, the cop, who's like, I'm not gonna be corrupt, and in fact, I'm gonna tell people that you're corrupt if you don't cut it out to his partners. Who then send the Italians to beat him yeah. up? Which in, in, in any movie in probably real life is a fucking yeah. We're from Serpico. Don't do that. Yeah, if you say like, "Hey, I'm not. I've decided to not be corrupt." You're so fucking dead. Yeah, you have to just be like, "Oh, I don't know. Let me. Can I think about it a little bit longer?" Um, and the last thing I'll say about King George is that actor is hilarious. Yes. Um, the uh, there's a scene where he's talking to like his number one lady, and she's not liking the fact that coffee has come around. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's like, she's like, what's the deal with this lady? And he turns and just goes, she's Jamaican. And I, I can't describe why it's so funny, but I laughed out loud. His it's, timing is like impeccable. Yes, it's his delivery. It's his timing. And that's why I do think this is, it's a more, why it's elevated is it's more nuanced on so many levels than a normal dumb action movie. And to let yeah. the, who you think is the big bad not be the big bad and let him be very human and funny while still being a huge piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, well, I do want to get into tone a little bit more, but before that, you know I got to head to the store for a shopping spree. Macklemore, take us away. Coffee says so much about America. It's about violence and about sex and about drug use. And right now, we're going to make it about one more thing, which is shopping. It is time to run into Coffee the Movie Film and get our grubby little paws on everything that we possibly can. Um, We are going to go in order of me and then Ryan and then Mike. Alphabetical. We are gonna we are going to run through grabbing everything we can. All right. Greg, what do you want? Well, um there is a part in this movie where her cop friend says he makes the best coffee in the world. Slam cut to coffee, drinking coffee in the movie coffee, and she goes, Mmm, that is good. I love coffee, both the movie and the drink. The idea that you would have the coffee from coffee, Ryan, that's like getting the cane from Citizen Kane. Am I right? You are right, Greg. Oh, my gosh. Uh, So, of course, I have that delicious. It's apparently the world's best coffee, too, which this guy, I guess in 73, the idea of opening up a coffee shop didn't quite make as much sense. But he could have turned his whole life around if instead of being a cop, he had just gone out and made the world's best coffee. It, it's possible that you just say things to Pam Greer to get her back to your apartment. Yeah, sure, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I like. He's probably like, "Oh man, I don't even know how to make coffee," but he's like, "I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna figure I'm gonna out try. a way." 
figure out a way to do it. And she's something about thirty. She goes, "Mmm, that is good." Ah, <laughs> oh, man. All right, Ryan, you can't. Just to be clear, you can't have the coffee now, from the movie Coffee at the. She she has shaky hands in this uh, surgery room. Yeah, because she's mo- so tired from her night of killing. One of the most accurate or like detailed surgery surgery rooms I've ever seen. Uh, so she sits down in like the hospital break room and has some coffee. Can I have that or? Well, that's not the coffee I took, right? I very specifically said yeah. that I was taking we the know coffee. What yeah. coffee you grabbed? So I have I I took the coffee that her friend made. So you that would still be available. Although that didn't look as good to me. I uh, I will not take that. Um, this is the thing that I can't stop thinking about in this movie and it's when in the beginning um she shoots a guy blows up a guy's head just with a shotgun with shotgun bullets and then fills that shotgun with needles okay yeah i think you are misunderstanding something that you saw she grabs a hypodermic needle and she puts it in her hand that's also holding the shotgun i disagree I don't believe she loads needles into the shotgun. Mike, what needle do you ass think? shot. I think she has okay. a needle shotgun. Okay. She, you, well. Greg watched a different movie. Greg watched the movie Gran Turismo, and I don't know how he's doing so well on this podcast. Because <laughs> Mike and I watched the movie Coffee, where she loads up a shotgun with whatever she wants, okay. and I want that magic shotgun. I get it. I get it. Okay, yeah. So uh, Coffee has a shotgun that you can put basically anything it, into. Literally anything you want. And if you if you can put anything into a shotgun, certainly you can load hypodermic needles into yeah. it. Yeah. That it is said that guy dies of an overdose. Right. So shot into him. Shot into him. By the, the only th- thing I can't load into that shotgun is that coffee from the cop's house that <laughs> he makes for coffee. <laughs> okay, so Ryan, you're gonna get this needle shotgun. And also, I would like to take it. I would like to find some sort of traveling person. Uh, I want him to upgrade the shotgun plus seven to some of the stuff. <laughs> oh, I get it, <laughs> Ryan. When she is asked to do heroin in the end of the movie, they ask, they say, have you ever done heroin before? Have you ever shot up before? And she says, once or twice, yeah. it's not for That's me. That's not my thing. <laughs> At, did, That's like, how, how I talk about weed. Yeah. Have you heard anybody ever talk about <laughs> shooting up heroin? I mean, I'm not talking about snorting a little bit of heroin or smoking some heroin, like which is still kind of extreme to do. But she says, shooting up, yes, I've done it once or twice, but it's not for me. Wow, I've never heard that in my life before. Do you think that's true, though? Or is she just saying, like, you know, she's just kind of trying to fit in and be cool? Yeah, I I want these guys who want to kill me to think I'm cool. (laughs) Because their plan is to shoot her up with heroin. The only only heroin I want to do is the heroin from this movie, of this movie, is the tagline I would suggest (laughs) for this movie. That was almost great. (laughs) Mike, what do you want to grab from this movie? And don't say needle shotgun. Shit. What about coffee? Is coffee? No. Fine. Nope. Not, not the coffee. I not the want, co- coffee from coffee. And this thing is sweet. It is the 1961 Cadillac Fleetwood 75. It's King George's car with the fins in the back. It is dope. Am I pandering? I don't even give a shit. <laughs> now, didn't we make a rule that you can take one car part at a time? So no, we can have not. one of the tires. or <laughs> No, I do not believe so. But uh, this if that's like- true, it's the fins, clearly. This is basically a big uh, a big limousine, and the fins on it are beautiful. They really are. That, this is a great car. It was a little ruined for me by the scene in which he is dragged behind this it. This is before that. I'm taking the version of the car the before that. The version that, that had never done that. That, had, that hadn't been a part of I, that. My car has a clean conscience. <laughs> All right, so for this first round, I'm going to have to go with Ryan's needle shotgun. Ryan. I questioned whether it even existed. 
but I was instantly put in my place. Mike, you got your 1961 cool limo car. What would you like next? I want uh, Coffee is a superhero, and one of her main superpowers is the ability to hide weapons anywhere. Yes. Sometimes it's in her hair. Sometimes it's on a park bench. It's she can hide something and nobody can see it, and that is a dope, dope power. Did you think it was weird though? Like we could all see that needle shotgun hiding in your hair, coffee. <laughs> yeah, it's just sticking straight out. So do you but that's just, the power of coffee. So you want just the ability to hide weapons anywhere, wherever I want. Hidden. Now, not to brag, um, but I actually have the kind of hair that you could hide weapons. In. I know. I now assume there's razor blades in your hair. Yeah, so uh, don't try to grab my hair, man. That is another thing that happens to a bad person. That lady is being a real jerk at the time it happens to her. But when she grabs Coffee's hair, which you shouldn't do, she slices her hands up so bad. That's a tough thing to see. That whole scene, it's Chekhov's razor blades. That whole scene, you know, but the scene, like, the movie acts like, isn't this hilarious? And you're like, no, because I know what's coming, and I don't like it. Uh, Ryan, you can't have hidden weapons. What would you like? I am going to take another weapon, though. Nice. Uh, from the scene that Mike is talking about, which I cannot believe. Like, we've barely spoken about that scene yet. So We're far. waiting. Um, I am going to take attack salad. Attack uh, salad, yeah, dude. You haven't had any <laughs> salad yet. There's a giant, giant bowl of salad at this uh, party, and uh, Coffee uses it to great effect, wiping out sex worker after sex worker. Like, you're going to throw drinks on me? Well, guess what? I'm going to throw salad in your face. Boom. Because... Coffee like Marge holds the aphorism, you don't make friends with salad. (laughs) But you can knock out an enemy. Also, I'm going to save some of that salad, obviously, put it into my shotgun. Now I have a salad shooter, and I'm going to blow you away. (laughs) That's true. I wrote down needle shotgun, but really what you wanted was a shotgun that you could load anything into. Remember in Kill Bill, he loads the shotgun with rock salt? Mm -hmm. Man, you shoot that right at your salad? (laughs) I'm going to load it up with salt, salad. create zombies. Greg, what would you like with your second pick in Shopping Street? Well, thank you, Greg. I appreciate you asking me that. Um, there are two different characters with theme songs in this. There's the coffee theme song, which I don't feel like goes very hard. Uh, but then there's the King George theme song, and I really <laughs> feel like that goes super hard. And I want, in the style of King George, I just want like a theme song. Greg, Greg, Greg. Greg, 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 Greg. Something that kind of plays when... Uh, when I walk in somewhere, kind of announces who I am. Theme song for Greg. Let's see. So we have from this round, theme song, attack salad, hidden weapons. I'm going to go with theme song. I thought it's that was not, a good one. I mean, one. it's not hidden weapons. It's the ability to hide weapons anywhere. The ability to hide weapons anywhere, which I don't I don't think we conclusively have the proof that she could do that. She puts She's weapons clearly. in her hair. I don't know if she could hide weapons And anywhere. she hides a shotgun on a park bench. <laughs> Okay, that's and she hides one sand-like material in a different sand-like material. <laughs> that's so true. Uh, man, how much serendipity is in this movie? She did not replace the heroin in that stash so that when she is shot up, yeah. it would be... Like, that just happens, though. I The first time I saw this movie, because I, I missed the part where the cop's like, sugar. Sugar. I thought she just fucking took a buttload yeah. of heroin and she was like, I'm coughing. <laughs> <laughs> well, some people, the, the medicine does the opposite of what it's supposed to do. <laughs> And then I have my last pick, 
And I am going to pick a car from this movie. It is the 1960 Chrysler Newport. This is the car. It's got the headlights that are like at angles. They're triangular mm. across either side yeah. of the grill. Um, this is the car that when she's hanging out on the park bench after she gets turned out, she is. Uh, some guy just pulls up and he's like, hey, baby, how you doing? And she's like, well, you know, I, I, I don't have anywhere to stay right now. He's like, get in my car. And then she steals the car when he goes into the liquor store, and he yells out, and he just yells out, come back! Yeah. <laughs> Not like, hey, you stole my car! Not he sounds again. like somebody legitimately who was like just had Pam Greer in his car, and now right. she's driving away. He's just like, no! Yeah, he's not angry so much as no. like, please! <laughs> this was the greatest moment of my life, and now I'm losing my car and the chance to be with Pam Greer. Um, Ryan, what do you got? I, uh, this is your last pick, by the way. Be advised. I am ready to attack. Like, I am on the offense with my salad and my shotgun. Yeah, dude, you got a shotgun and one out, salad and the other. So I need a place to defend, and I really want the restaurant that we see in the beginning um, that just for some reason has a girl. It's not like a strip club. It's not, but there's a topless woman. But there is a topless woman. Uh, mostly but, bottomless. Uh, it's just, it's got the, like, the rock walls. It's just uh-huh. fucking... As the most 70s yes. thing you could possibly imagine. Yes. It's not as offensive as the restaurant in at the beginning of Sisters. Oh, God, no. It's nothing like that. It's just a chill lounge to chill and lounge, and that's what I Dude, want. Dude, there should be more topless restaurants, right? <laughs> Where else can you take your family and enjoy a nice steak dinner? <laughs> <laughs> Honey, you sit here with your back facing that woman. Um, I just, like, even the glassware. Like, all of the glasses that they drink out of, you couldn't find today. Right. Yeah, like the, the certain kind There's of martini and champagne. I don't glasses. think you could get the same like light temperature. Mm. <laughs> that right. There's one after. Goodwill outside of Reno, Nevada, that you <laughs> could find that glassware. All right, Mike, topless restaurant. You got it. That's You're gonna have to work mean. hard to get this round, buddy. I. <laughs> and by I the way, want... if you don't understand, if this is your first time here, topless means shared plates. <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> It's from Spain. Oh, it's very popular. That made me choke. For less nefarious reasons, but I would love just like a nice, swanky, secret meeting cabin in Malibu to hang with my bros. Yeah. Yes. Just get everybody in the conspiracy together in one cabin to all hang out and to see if any of us had anything to what? do with the fact that one of our associates has just been murdered. We can let our hair down and just be ourselves. It, yes. was, it was this weird combination of the Legion of Doom headquarters and that garage of that kid you knew in like high school where everyone was just always there. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's honestly like somebody's parents' pool house or something. It's not like very fancy. It's just like a cool place to no, chill. It's cozy. And maybe commission a couple crimes. Has cozy. a shed if you need to trap somebody there for a while. Has a shed. It's very close to the ocean. Yes, you can just walk right out and just walk down the beach. All right, I love it. Okay, let's see. Um, I am going to have to. I'm sorry. Right. Topless restaurant? Man. Yeah, well, you're not going to do any better than that. Let's see what we all walked with, though. I got the coffee from the movie Coffee. Um, theme song about me. Uh, and then a 1962 Chrysler Newport that really has some of the most beautiful design language that you'll ever see. Ryan, you've got a shoots everything shotgun. Uh, parentheses, needles, close parentheses, uh, an attack salad, so you're dual wielding, which I like. Uh, and I assume that's like War Machine style on your shoulder. Oh, that, like, yeah. launches from there. <laughs> Croutons. Uh, and then a topless restaurant, which, by the way, a character actually buys. In yeah. this. He says in that scene that he just bought that restaurant, so that'd be very thematic. 
Mike with zero points, you got the 1961 Fleetwood, the uh, ability to hide weapons effectively, and then a secret cozy hideout. And you know what, Mike? Mike. When I look at all your picks together, I, I really like them, so I think you deserve at least Thank one point. You. That hideout has, like... A N64 and a really good collection yes. of N64 games. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, man, we should always play N64. But then you get home and you're like, I'm not going to set that up. I don't know why we bought like 350 games when all we do is fucking play GoldenEye. GoldenEye. Dude, or, or uh, Mario Kart. Dang. 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 When we come back, we're going to talk tone, you turkeys. This movie contains people begging for their lives, people joking around, people palling around, Looney Tunes-like violence, and all of these things are under one roof in a 91-minute movie. Does the tone in this movie, does it strengthen the overall product, or are there ways in which this sort of goofiness can water down or otherwise attenuate the messages of the movie? What do you think? Yeah, I can't believe we have Looney Tune violence in a movie where you have people palling around. That's crazy. <laughs> I, but you know, in a movie that is about like the uh, toll that, look, the, or let me let me talk about specifically the scene where King George is dragged behind a car. It is so upsetting, but I feel like a little bit of the wackety ass violence finds its way into the end of the scene where he's like driven onto a. A lot that has like a bunch of like garbage on it, yeah, and they then find he, it yeah. nearby obstacle course. It's like he keeps getting crashed into things, and it almost feels Yaki like that's Sax being is playing, played as a as a joke. Well, you know, this, this is Jack Hill, son of Benny Hill. So it it <laughs> it does. It feels like spoonful of sugar mixed with heroin. Like <laughs> it does feel like the movie wants to have real messages. He's like, but I want to entertain people. So, like, I'm going to try to do both at once. And I don't think, like, any there was any tone conversation Mike. with the filmmakers. You know, I don't know. No, if they, any, did, like, they did not think about tone at all. Come on. Um, I, I, but I do think that it is part of the gasoline that makes the 1962 Chrysler Newport go. Like, oh, yeah. Um, I don't think that this movie really drags at any point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that uh, phrasing a movie like this would you would expect it to <laughs> drags in one scene. Good guys, um, <laughs> but I think that the tone is part of it. I think the other part of it too is that the, the structure of the movie is not really what you would expect or I would expect. I would think that this is sort of like just a revenge movie. Like we're gonna set up the premise and then she's just gonna make kills. Yeah, and like, I thought she would, like, go kind of randomly to different places, but everything she does is, like, intricately plotted out to get her to the very next place she needs to go. And instead of just, like, a slasher film, like a non-horror slasher film, like I think most people would expect from a movie like this, it's almost more of, like, detective noir. You know, yes. like, like, she's Ryan. really going around and picking up clues, whether she's trying to or not, to get to the next part while we're watching sort of the mystery unfold without her. Um, and... That's sort of a weird tone in addition to the Looney Tunes and the classic tone of palling around. <laughs> well, it feels like a video game because of that. Because every adventure, mini adventure she goes on, she gets the hint to the next mini adventure. And there's levels of bosses she has to get through. Um, How about the like two or three minute long fight with all the call girls? Um. D- does that the, like in any way cut against the message? Yes. The <laughs> the director is uh represented in that scene by 
Arturo Vitroni because <laughs> King George so is going to stop him because King George is too dignified for this world and he looks so <laughs> disappointed in his call girls. Yeah. Uh, and, and also Ar- cares about their safety to an extent. To a lesser extent. Because uh, he can see in Coffee's eyes she's going to fuck them up. Uh, <laughs> but Vitroni's like, oh, look, 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 look. Yeah, They're dude. talking about business. He's like, no, everybody shut the fuck shut up, up and watch what's up, happening up, over there. Vitroni launches it slowly into the air and clicks his heels. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the, the 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 scene there's one minute of pure fighting uh and then the last minute of the fight is just pure shirts getting ripped off i mean right. th- like for a while it's like i'm gonna hit you with this salad or yes. i'm gonna throw Here's another drink at you and then the first attack becomes i'm going to directly punch you into the top button of your blouse yeah. and it's going <laughs> to fly off and i Everybody's like kryptonite at this point, whether you want to say it is for titillation or comedy's sake, uh, I I almost made it without giggling. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, you're doing such a good job. Um, this should this stands up there with like the scene between uh, Keith David and Rowdy Roddy Piper from They Live. Like it is, <laughs> it is that absurd and long. Yes, and yeah. the funniest thing though is that characters in the scene are smacking each other like, "Hey, watch this!" Uh-huh. It's like everybody, right. including the characters, stops what they're doing in a movie that never stops for one second to watch this fight unfold. It it just it feels like often like the the unannounced or unofficial tagline of movie of the year is movies can be so many things, mm-hmm. and it feels like Pam Greer and Jack Hill said, "And one movie, can one be movie so can be things. all of those things at the same time." Um, Let's talk about the nudity in general because we the we've had different years with different levels of nudity and I would say mm-hmm. 73 has been a nudity forward year but we've never had a movie with as no. much boobage as this movie does. Um is there are they doing anything beyond just look at these beautiful bodies uh in this movie or are they just trying to titillate us or is there a message behind the nudity and does the nudity in any way dilute other messages within the film? It, it kind of feels like the nudity dilutes itself at a certain point. There's and that so kind of hints. That you don't notice it anymore. And, and that, I think that is this world. And that is drugs. You get, you get your first taste for free and then you get hooked. Then you get more and more and more. And then you need more to, but yeah, it just, it does not have that same effect by the end of it. And I think one thing too, is it shows how far coffee will go to get the job done. Yeah. Um, because I think a right. lot of movies would be, I don't know, would be more protective of their hero, especially if it's a woman, and just, like, that's a line that she or the filmmakers or the studio or whatever will never cross, is we have to keep them more chaste or we have to, like, make sure that, like, um, they'll something will happen, there'll be an explosion outside, or she'll come up with a distraction to make sure that the clothes stay on, and they definitely never have sex. And when right. she has sex with King George, somebody that we already know to be very bad yeah you know i think that shows that like coffee is putting her sexuality out there to be like this is this is just another tool in my tool belt as opposed to this like other more american thing of like no this is something that will protect most i'll I'll let my sister die as long as i protect my sexuality most movies would go out of their way to show that she never has sex on any of these missions any one time and this movie goes out of its way to be like no she's at an impasse here where not having sex is not an option right i mean she'd be busted yeah exactly like wait wait, you are a prostitute who doesn't (laughs) is not gonna have sex kind of my thing (laughs) Uh, i i I think it's showing 
like how far she's willing to go, right? But it's also, I think Coffee thinks she's dead. From the minute we meet Coffee, mm. this is a suicide mission. So it's who cares about this physical she's like body? A and yes, it could, and like who cares if anybody fucks me? Who cares if anybody hurts me? Because she gets up again and again from like brutal physical moments that aren't yeah. sex, like from violence. And she's just like, back at it. Like, yeah. I, it's I, the only like, thing that pauses up- her. I was, the only thing that pauses her is the murder, and then she goes through that emotion, and after that, she's a Terminator. Yeah, yeah, and it's like um, we see her like she's not sleeping. Um, right. She's like, like it, it seems like she has entered into this superhuman thing, and that's what part of what I was asking about in the last segment, which is serendipity works for her a lot. Like she just happens to have things work out for her, and it feels like I don't know, like that that there is a low key like supernatural feeling to all of this yeah like and that's like whether we call it a death, death wish or like magic or the terminator or whatever like it really caught me off guard there's a point where she is in the room with the guy from vegas who is his kink is to make people of color do really filthy things god he's right. a bit like oh that's a that's a really tough scene and so she does it for a little bit but before they go all the way she pulls a gun on him and then his henchman sid haig Gets her, like hits her and hits the gun out of her hand. And I was like, what the fuck? No, no, no. This is coffee. That never happened. Like it caught me by surprise because this is, you don't do that to the Terminator. That is Pam Greer. You know what that means? We are entering speed round territory. Is coffee the most titular, titular character of all time? Gregory, how could you? (laughs) That is a question. Uh, she like everybody in the movie says coffee so many times uh it just feels like she is so at the center of everything you know i believe every trailer should just be every character saying the main name name. of the of the characters um we would be remiss and again as a podcast we are we are anti that uh if we didn't mention the music in this movie what is the role of the music in this movie and how does it contribute to the the overall um vision of it i've seen people like this this music the mu- the music from this movie has like uh, a reputation i don't put it up with there with like some of the classics oh really yeah like compared to like superfly or shaft um i didn't it didn't really hit me that hard i did uh look it up the vinyl to put in my vinyl collection. Uh-huh. Uh, well, that's something, right? Yeah. I, uh, Ryan. Sort of collect vinyl because I don't like digital music. I just like... Well, you like the warmth of the I sound. I like the warmth of the, the, the hiss. Yeah, yeah. The, the crackle. Um, it's just something that I sort of do. It's more of a side. presence. Yeah. Yeah. And, more know, of an event, too, I, when I, you take it out. Right. And like yeah. uh, people come over and they're very impressed Ryan. by it. Uh, what? What? Mm, what? And it was uh, $499 for the vinyl. So oh, I, And I, you I, bought it? You do deserve that point Greg gave you then for looking something up. I passed on it. Mike. You know what, Mike? You're giving me the business, and I respect that. I, I guess I have to disagree. I thought the music was um, really layered and complex, and it helps to create the, the driving like force of the movie. The only thing that didn't work for me was I thought the coffee theme, like the song that was written like for her, is right up there with some of my 1973 musical stinkaroos, for sure. <laughs> I feel like it lacks the complexity that the character displays. It's just like it's too maudlin. Um, but the the King George song and then just the score, I thought, worked really well. So the tagline for this movie is they call her Coffee. She'll cream you. But her real name is Coffin. 
Shouldn't they have gone with her name is Coffee and she'll bury you? Yeah, if you yes. have if your last name is Coffin, you don't need a nickname. And you kill a bunch of people. Yeah. You are Coffin. What oh, like I really tried to figure out what her first name is in this movie because her Can't name's not Coffee Coffin. What is her what is her name I think in this it's movie? F- it, according to the internet, according to Google Hill, uh <laughs> that I thought about, it's Flower Child Coffin. Okay. Is that ever said in the movie? I don't know. I don't think she has a name in this movie. Like, I don't think there's there they ever give her a first name. I think it's just Coffin, and then that she has the nickname based on that of Coffee. Yeah. What about she's Coffin, and she might be your final nail? <laughs> How about she's Coffin, and she's covering her mouth? Because that's just good <laughs> hygiene. Do we think that this movie has it, it, is it at all portraying the early 70s as dealing with the sort of wasteland of hippie culture? I feel like we've got a few movies that look at hippie culture and then sort of paint it with a very negative brush. Do we see that popping into this? It's not super uh, forward, but I think some of the call girls have hippie tendencies. Yeah, hippie because. <laughs> hippie-ish tendencies and they're kind of like a collective there and it is showing like yeah this was not fucking fun for these women plus i just found out about coffee's first name so that's pretty hippie and that's got it that that is a message for sure i wonder if she is is the flower child coffin she's killing those hippies dead she's killing all those hippies when we come back we're going to give out some awards and make some recommendations awards and recommendations one we love to receive the other we love to give, and in that, we find true balance. Ryan, pound-for-pound pound performance. lot to choose from in this movie. lot going for it. Who do you think gets us our pound-for-pound? Pound? Well, uh, obviously, uh, the star of the movie, the politician, was great. But I'm going to give it to a side character named Pam Greer. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think she really shined here and has a future as a star so uh that leads all back to our first question which is you do not think that that you think her performance is very good in this i do i think that um again i do not think that she comes off as a classically trained actor but i think that that's not everything with the style of the movie the script that she was given and she does the best she can with that. But also there's more to acting. Like if we talk about star power, she has more riz than almost anyone that has mm. ever been on camera. She Ryan. commands your eye and it's it's more than just looks. Yeah, it really is. There's some sort of light in her that really like the, the camera picks up on. So even if like her performances are unconventional, um, there's just something there where you like, I like this person a lot. Mike, who do you think is the the pound for pound performer? Yeah, call me a traditionalist. I just think it's hacky to choose the name of the character uh, who the movie's named after. As Technically, he said the name of the actress. Okay, sure, <laughs> that's different. Uh, I think Robert <laughs> DeQuay, uh, who plays King George, to yeah. elevate that it could be such a one-note character. And as we talked about throughout this whole episode, like the stuff he's doing and the choices he's making, this, he wants dignity and can't have it. He wants to joke around. He, and when he's in the car with the Italian guys who are going to kill him, it, he looks like a middle schooler. Like, no, yeah. no, no. If I just laugh with them, yeah. maybe they his won't hurt posture, me. His whole demeanor completely changes. It's, yeah, this guy rules. Yeah, I give you the point there, Mike. I, I, I agree that the King George weirdly comes in and kind of steals this movie. And it's hard to totally reconcile that, but there's he's just a very interesting character and, a, and actor. 
Um, Mike, director's signature. What do you think is the director's signature here? Jack Hill. What, there, there were moments throughout the movie where the camera is there. It's doing its thing. It's like steady. And it feels like Hill grabs it and then like hand zooms in. Yeah. And it's a vaky, very shaky to be like, no, a normal zoom isn't good enough. You will see my hand force you to look closer at Pam Greer's eyes or whatever it is she's looking at or everybody like it's it's pretty wild. It's It's a lot of fun. I feel like uh, the early 70s really liked these, like, you see the camera angle change. Like, you mm-hmm. see it move in. You see it change focus. Like, they really liked that, like, or, like feeling of that happening. Ryan, what do you think is a signature moment? It, it's hard um, because I'm not sure he's great at a lot of his job. <laughs> uh, there's a couple of things that I wanted to go with. Like there's a part where she puts a gun in like a teddy bear or like a stuffed uh-huh. yeah. animal and then uh, gets up out of a chair to leave. And then the camera stays on the chair and then the camera moves down one inch on the chair <laughs> and then cuts. <laughs> like, what are you doing, bud? Did you they drop forgot the they had the camera on. <laughs> and sure that could happen. But then you could edit that you out. Edit that right out. Yeah, that yeah, could just come just right take, out. Take that right out. Um, but based on what I've seen here, I, I just have to give it to the uh, the decision to shoot and elongate the uh, the fight scene, the, uh, the sex, sex worker, worker fight scene. scene. Yeah, Ryan. Uh, we can be as highfalutin as we want, but I'm gonna I'm going to embrace the uh, the Ebert ethos of this and just say, <laughs> you know what, like. That's what people in the theater want to see. And as long as we're all consenting adults about it, hey, baby, let, let, let's do whatever we want. Let's do what makes us feel good. Um, busted. Ryan, Busted <laughs> makes us feel good. The hit film Rustin on Netflix makes us feel good. Ryan, when is the time you cringed during this movie? Because we love this. I feel like we love this movie. It's got a lot of warmth in it. It's got a lot of enjoyment. But, man... You're you're gonna cringe. You're gonna cringe sometimes. Yeah, and t- to me, like I expected to just cringe at something that just is not, you know, like because if it's a it's a part of its time yeah. and something didn't age well. Yeah. But I'm gonna go literal here. I'm just gonna go with the length of the quote unquote lynching scene, uh, how it just wouldn't end, and how horrifying it was to watch. Yeah, Mike. What do you say? Uh. When she's chasing Vitroni, the, the Italian ball bus towards the end, she's killed a lot of the other people in the house. Uh, she's now outside, and you can see him like look down and be like, where's my mark? And then runs to the corner yes. of the pool and looks yes. up and then goes, whoa, yes. and falls in the pool. Yes. And it yes. is the craziest like student high school student <laughs> film moment. And it was, yeah, it was jarring. I am going to have to go with Ryan. Ryan's on this. Um I did not – I would not have expected this, except Ryan told me because he, he thought it would be too upsetting for me uh, to see it, like, without knowing it was coming. And if you hadn't, Ryan, like, I, I never would have been prepared for something like that. And it is – I don't know that tonally they capture it perfectly, but this is where King George is doing some of his best acting. And, like, I don't think I fully wa- – I watched the movie three times. I don't think I watched, like, that I- entire scene, like, all the way through one time. I couldn't. And then – the real, real cringe moment is they cut to his body at the end yeah, of that, yeah. and it is so, so mutilated by what happened. And I, I just, uh, I think they intended the cringe there, obviously, yeah. and and they got it. All right, um, the next war award I am calling "Better Off Greg," 
Um, this is the scene that would have been better if one was in it, and I'm projecting myself into the role of that one. But it could be it could be either of you gentlemen, Should I suppose. Should it just be all three of us? Yeah, all three of us hanging out. Yeah, we are holding hands. What scene do you put the three of us holding hands in? Alternatively, in a trench coat, one on top of the other. <laughs> I would just uh, an 18-foot-tall adult. <laughs> We've uh, talked about it a lot. It's it's the sex worker food fight. How could it not be? And we would fit in so perfectly because we would be standing there going, hey, look, yeah, look, dude, look, 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 look. <laughs> I think there's a lot of ways in which the guy that plays the mafioso doesn't really read much as a mafioso. And this is certainly one of the scenes. But yeah. the way he taps King George on the arm is like, whoa, 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 hang out. You have to check this out. Very realistic. Uh, that is just the that's cat fight culture for you. Also, uh, the Italian mafioso in like classic old movie fashion has two henchman a russian and a cowboy <laughs> <laughs> i couldn't tell what that one henchman like what race he was supposed to be not that it yeah. matters except that it seems like all 73 movies you put together like your rogues gallery or like yeah. your henchmen all have to come from a different the culture. reverse captain yeah. planet yeah <laughs> all right how about ryan the coolest coffee moment i think that uh i mean there's a lot of this movie that is just made for trailers you know there's just a lot of lines that she has but i have to go with the opening not the opening scene but her scene in that hotel room where she uh blows a hole through a guy's head says her line about uh that first one was easy because he didn't see yes. it coming mm-hmm. uh but this is gonna be hard and then of course Shoots a guy with a fuck ton of heroin needles. Basically has like eight heroin needles loaded into the barrel <laughs> and then shoots him right in the face with it. Mike, what's your coolest coffee moment? Uh, the camera like follows. We, we, we know that this guy is into exotic hookers and the camera and then we get a scene cut and she's at this nice country club uh, poolside and it like follows up her legs, up her body and she's drinking a drink. And then has the worst fucking Jamaican accent with a straight <laughs> face and continues <laughs> to look cool. That's talent, baby. <laughs> I think I'm going to give this one Ryan. to Ryan. Mike, how about a recommendation? If people loved coffee, what do you recommend? Tea? That's a joke. Obviously, I'm looking for another property. <laughs> also, why would you, if you love coffee, why would you recommend have something? Have weaker coffee. <laughs> you like coffee. Want to have something bad? Uh, the, it, it's... Because my frame of reference is, is not deep, but it's a movie uh, I hold near and dear to my heart and I fucking love uh, and would not exist without this movie. It's Black Dynamite. <laughs> Black Dynamite. Uh, you want to say anything about Black Dynamite? It is so fucking funny, but also is not just like, what was that? Kung Pao? The Enter the Fist? Enter the Fist is only like a sketch show. Uh, <laughs> and I think Black Dynamite has the heart and essence of a... 70s black exploitation movie and it has that plot and it is now seeing some it's like oh some of the things you thought were ridiculous are just like lifted straight from these movies also drop pad references it every once in a while that's true <laughs> ryan what uh, do you recommend well this was a uh, this is a classic black exploitation movie yes sir another classic black exploitation movie is uh superfly which is coincidentally the name of the villain from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, a movie I have seen. What? He's done it, folks. He's done it. Oh, man. 
yeah, tell us more, Ryan. Um, I uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, Hell yeah. There's a couple of issues I had, but overall, uh, thrilling, thrilling yes. movie. I do think that um, Ice Cube kind of stole the show. Oh my Superfly. gosh, he totally did. Uh, Ryan. He gets a couple of the best lines of the movie, including, uh, what was that, a horse? I don't need that horse. Yeah. <laughs> I would have taken out about five characters. Uh, That's what I think I would have done. There was a lot of them. There's and so they many list cameos. Them a couple of times. Yeah. What'd you say? Like when they, th- once the group joins, like with all the mutants, they list them all. Yes, like I know. Them. Yeah. Uh, but besides that, uh, a nearly perfect movie and an exciting new sort of like property to to look out for. I love that. I am going. Oh wait, but that's not my actual recommendation. Oh, okay. I just wanted to uh, share that. Uh, I'm actually still very exciting. <laughs> There's um I watched it months before Ryan, by the way. Uh oh in theaters. He's on fire. <laughs> there's a um there's a point that you could actually point to with a point, if I can make this point, and that <laughs> is uh where this sort of genre started with uh Sweet Sweetback's badass song. Oh yeah. And which came out uh Ryan. two years before this. And the one of the many reasons why this movie is so important is because it is that independently yeah. produced movie, which means it got to have a black producer and director and writer. Uh, it was made for like uh, 80 grand. Uh, we don't have to mention who put up a lot of that money. Um, but the movie Somebody is... Somebody great, I bet. Nope. <laughs> uh, the movie's fucking wild and just drops so many of the conventions that you would typically see from a studio film. Some of the conventions you like some of the conventions are y- you're used to and so you kind of miss them when you watch it but uh absolutely worth watching and then sort of going from there if you've already probably seen jackie brown or black dynamite or uh, a lot of these things where you can't start from the beginning but you've seen enough where now you can go or coffee or you know foxy brown or shaft um scream blackula scream sure uh scream scream two scream three um that now you can go back to the beginning. And sometimes that's hard to find with genre, you know, can, in any format. Can you say the name of the movie again slower? Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. Sweet, and the badass sweet is like... Badass yeah, there's song. five S's uh, in <laughs> badass. Uh, that is uh, Melvin Peebles. And then his son... Mario Van Peebles. Uh, yeah, uh, made a movie called Badass about the making of that movie, which is also very good. That is such a cool movie. I've seen that one. That is such a cool movie. Um, I love that. My recommendation is going to be Ganja and Hess, which is a movie that I saw getting ready for the 73 season. And it reminds me a lot more of what you just said about um, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, which is like, there does not feel like the controlling hand of like a big studio on Ganja and Hess. And because of that, it's very experimental. Uh, it's hard a lot of times to understand exactly what's going on. It's also kind of a vampire movie, kind of a monster movie. And it explores that like... um that divide between like our, you know, trying to be good and ultimately being bad in the world, but also kind of just like embracing in a, in a very casual way, like black beauty and sexuality. And it's just kind of exciting because it's not, it doesn't feel exploitative in any way. It doesn't feel um, like there is the hand of some studio system on it. It feels like for better or worse, it lets itself be kind of loose and baggy and a meditation on um, on a lot of different concepts. And I, it was 
it was not my favorite movie that I watched for getting ready for the 1973 season, but it's definitely one of the ones watch, watching it where I was like, this is an intelligent movie, probably a little bit more intelligent than me right now. I can't quite like apprehend everything that it's doing, but it's just kind of exciting and adventurous and fun. Uh, a lot of those things that Spike Lee forgot to do when he remade it. <laughs> Many years later. Yeah, I mean, l- there's definitely times where you're like, I don't know what's going on here, but the vibes are just through the roof. Like, this feels very gothic. Sometimes and, and that's weird all you need. And intense. When we come back, I am going to tell you how I <laughs> how I think this movie will do. And I'll ask the other guys, too. Yeah, I'll see what that, they think the movie's going to do. I'll see and my time. I, I will also tell you who has won the show, because that is something that I get to decide all on my own. Well, Mike, you finally did it. You scored 35 points, which is really good. But it's not enough to beat Ryan, who scored 38. The losing streak continues, but so does the winning streak. We know who's won tonight's show. But my question is, we first of all, I want to know what you really think about the movie. Because I, I, I didn't come across totally clear. I loved it, was blown away, um, thought it was super awesome. What did you guys, what's your final impressions of it? I'll start with you, Mike. Yeah, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's a good old time at the movies. Uh, it's pretty messy. There's issues, uh, but a lot of the mess is part of the fun. Mm-hmm. It reminded me a lot of Enter the Dragon. Yeah, uh, of the this that. is all over the place, but fuck, it's watchable. But it probably is most watchable like in a big group setting. That I think that there's a lot to that. Ryan, what do you say? Yeah, I mean, it's it's great. Um, I think that it's. Phew, Stronger than Enter the Dragon. I know. It's it's right <laughs> there. It's, yeah, it's they're very say. neck and neck. I, I think Enter the Dragon is just a stronger, it's like a better made film. Yeah. You know? Uh, it's Enter the Dragon's definitely missing a lot of those. I'm a gangster. I'm going to scoot over here. Then I'm going to fall into a pool <laughs> moment. <laughs> <laughs> shit like that and shit like the not, like, staying on the chair and then moving down and then not cutting like <laughs> right. so much of this reminded me of the shit we made in high school yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> um so i'm getting the feeling that we think it's a good movie we loved it but we we don't think it has a real chance to walk away with 1973's yeah. movie of the year what do you think mike yes i think that is accurate unless we all realize and remember how in love we are with pam greer and then we're like fuck it yeah <laughs> if they were made coffee as kathy where tom cruise plays lieutenant kathy from a few good men Oh, I thought you said, like, Kathy, like, if the main character's Kathy. And Ack! Like, Ack! <laughs> Mondays, right? Lasagna. Uh, wait, well, is <laughs> Ack the same thing that the Mars Attacks alien said? Is Kathy yes, they're Mars all Kathy's. <laughs> we only have one more movie left for the 1973 season, and then it Whoa. is going to be time to decide what 1973's movie of the year is. And all that is coming up. But until then, keep watching them movies!